This is A Disciple's Point of View, One Disciple's Perspective on God's Word. My name is Craig and I'll be your host today as we go through a myriad of topics related to Christianity. Hello and welcome to this week's A Disciple's Point of View. This is going to be a little bit of a special episode. This is not a, another episode in Eternal Life 101. We're taking a little bit of a break, even though that podcast just started, regardless of uh, that. I want to cover something that is a little bit near and dear to my heart and not in the way that you might think. We're going to talk about a concept called tithing. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, what that is basically is the believer giving money, typically about 10% of their money to the church for the support and the ongoing operation of said church and everything that they've got going on in there. And there's been a lot said about whether it's acquired or some pastors are very bold about it, saying, I'm not afraid to preach about money. So, hey, if you don't like uh, sermons about money, you may not want to join this church. And I'm like, is that necessarily the best way to put it? I'll give you a little bit of a backstory as to why I think that and why this is kind of near and dear to my heart and something that I'm kind of. I, I, I kind of want to lock the horns about a little bit is I was not a believer in Jesus Christ until I was 20 years old, almost 21. Okay. And my upbringing was very agnostic in nature. And basically agnostic means without knowledge. It's, I didn't think that there wasn't a God. I wasn't an atheist. I thought that there was some form of higher power, but who knows what that was or who that was or whatever else of all the religions in the world, all the denominations in the world, I had no clue. And I also grew up predominantly in the 1980s. I was a teenager and starting in the mid 1980s until the end of the 80s. And obviously my uh, latter single digit years, I really typically remember pretty well. So I like to say I grew up during the 1980s, right? So that being said, I was really into heavy metal. And backing up just a little bit further, I was not really raised as a Christian. I was raised to believe that there was a God, right? I was a theist. My mother was a lapsed Catholic. She really, from the point that I really started remembering things as a child, all the way up until I was probably in my mid to late 20s, my mother wasn't really very religious at all. My dad wasn't religious whatsoever. I don't think he was an atheist, but again, he was probably more agnostic. He was all religious, basically. He just, it didn't matter to him. So I grew up with those two influences in my life. And my mother, when I was in my mid to late single digit years, she wanted me to go to church. And I think her parents wanted her to go to church as well, back to the Catholic church, obviously. So she started going with them and I started going with my mom because who doesn't want to do that as a young child, right? Well, of course, if one of my parents is doing it, I want to do it, too, because that's just how kids are. And that's how I was. So we started going to the church and all this and that. I do remember one Sunday morning I was getting ready and my dad stormed into my room and said, why the F and bleep, blop, blop, bloop, bloop, do you want to go to church? And I was just taken aback. And my parents were fighting before that. As I recall, I mean, they fought quite a bit when I was growing up. and. um 
I pretty much from that point forward, I decided, you know what, mom, I don't want to go to church anymore. And she's like, okay, that's fine. And she tried to get me to read the Bible as I was growing up a little bit more, but I, I just really wasn't having it. But as most teenagers do, you come into your own, you start developing your own way, your own style. And I was really into heavy metal music. And there was one band that was really popular about that time, starting around 1985, 1986, and is still popular to this day, Metallica. They're like pretty much the modern day Rolling Stones, just a hard rock version, right? So in 1986, they released an album called Master of Puppets. And I didn't discover them until 1988 when uh, somebody had a dubbed tape, a cassette tape. Boy, we're taking you back here. But anyway... So as I'm listening to it, I'm like really loving it and whatnot. It's the first really heavy album that I ever listened to as a teenager. I was into bands like Motley Crue and Poison and stuff like that. And this was the first band that I really listened to that I was like, wow, this is really heavy. This is really cool and all this and that. But anyway, in relation to this podcast, they had a song on that album called Leper Messiah. The chorus is what I really remember most. Okay, It says, Send me money, send me green, heaven you will meet. Make a contribution and you'll get the better seat. That was pretty much what predominated my attitude towards Christian ministries and churches when I was growing up in the 1980s. As a matter of fact, you'd see these televangelists on the TV, you know, saying, you know, sow your financial seed today, give money, God will give you back a thousand fold or 10,000 fold, blah, blah, blah. But God forbid you give to anywhere else, you had to give to their ministry, right? And I, I think it was, um, it wasn't Robert Tilton, but it was another one of those big televangelists that got caught with a prostitute or whatever, went on TV and said, I have sinned, please forgive me. And then there was another one, I think it's like, it, who said something ridiculous, like, if I don't raise $5 million, God will strike me dead. You know, it's like, this is stuff like this that I was like, this is ridiculous. And it kept me away from God for a really long time. And I didn't want, I wanted nothing to do with God. And to really get into my personal testimony, my very first podcast, you can go all the way back to the very first one that I dropped on, on here. It's called A Relationship with God. And it kind of gives my personal testimony. I had kind of a really unorthodox personal testimony. I love telling it because it's really unusual and kind of interesting. But go back to that, and I don't want to be redundant here. I want to stick to the topic at hand. But anyway, so fast forward to when I was 20 years old, and I came to Christ and all this and that. And as I started growing in my faith over the years, I started becoming a little bit more and more disturbed by how ministries would get their congregation or parishioners or followers or whatever to give money. And it always just really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And so it was in 2016. Uh, I had actually been writing on another blog on here on the internet, obviously, uh, called Intense Theology. It's through WordPress. And um, I wrote this one uh, blog post that I'd written years before that. Even. I'm not even sure, really. I can't remember why I wrote it. I, it may have been forgot questions that I was writing it for. I don't remember. But what I wanted to do for this podcast right here, right now, is I wanted to kind of just read it. And maybe give a little bit of commentary here and, here and there as we go through it. So I'll just jump into doing that right now. Okay, I'm going to start reading from the blog. And I'll go ahead and uh, put the link for the blog into the description for this podcast. 
So turn on any Christian program or ministry, and what you will find at some point is a in the service is a request for money. This is by no means an evil thing. Money is needed in today's society for mere living, much less keeping a ministry alive and going. But is it a good thing to place so much emphasis on the giving of gifts or tithing as some would have them? Did Jesus want his people to be so concerned about quote-unquote tithing that they forget about everything else in the Christian life? Of course not. Jesus wanted his people to display love, joy, peace, as well as generosity. I'm going to quote a verse of scripture here. Can a person rob God? You are indeed robbing me, but you say, how are we robbing you? In tithes and contributions, you are bound for judgment because you are robbing me. This whole nation is guilty. Bring the entire tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my temple. Test me in this matter, says the sovereign Lord, to see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessing until there is no room in it at all. And these are the words of Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And it's probably the most referred to scripture on the topic of tithing. One would think that the topic of that, rather, that tithing is a mandate from God, since he used such harsh language like robbing, judgment, and guilty. Many Christian ministries have made this the crutch by which they make their monetary demands on believers to, quote-unquote, tithe. But what was the tithe and who was it for? The seemingly obvious answer would be to God himself, but does God have a need for anything really? Certainly not. Another scripture verse here. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hill. That's in Psalm 50 verses 9 and 10. The tithe is simply given as a sacrifice of what we make or earn uh, for ourselves to live. It serves as a reverence and worship and a declaration of dependence on God alone for our sustenance. rather. So then, since God is not dependent on our offerings to survive, who is the tithe really for? Well, let's look to the Old Testament, shall we? Another uh, scripture verse here. For the tithes of the son of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. And that is found in Numbers 18, verse 24. The sons of Aaron were given the duty of performing the duties in the tent of meeting and in the temple after it was built. And this was their sole duty to be performed. No one was allowed to come near the tent or the Holy of Holies except for those of the tribe of Levi, who were the sons of Aaron. The tithe was their means of support in how they ate and lived. If this were taken away, the tribe of Levi would suffer and might have to work themselves to harvest cr uh, crops and raise livestock. This would take away from their priestly duty before God in the nation would suffer as a result. Hence. That's how the nation was robbing God of their tithes. In believing upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been placed under a new covenant, not a covenant of law with the threat of death with each transgression, but the law of love, where our trespasses against the law were forgiven. Another scripture verse here. And so he, being Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those 
who are called may receive the eternal inheritance he has promised, since he died to set them free from the violations committed under the first covenant. Hebrews 9.15 Only the line of Aaron was allowed to serve as priests of God, but what about those of us under the new covenant? Are only specific lines of persons allowed to serve as priests? In Revelation 5, verse 10, persons who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus are called a quote-unquote kingdom of priests. I'm sorry, a kingdom and priests to serve our God and will reign on earth. It would seem then that anyone who receives Christ is a priest before God. Under the idea of tithing, would this mean then that everyone would be given the tithe for his, his or her service to God? Since so many ministries are so quick to apply Old Testament meanings, such as mandatory tithes and blessings to follow, would they not follow the Old Testament idea of giving the tithe to the priests of God? Well, the answer, of course, is no, because no ministry would survive. So then what's the answer? It's simply giving, plain and simple. But how does this differ from tithing? The biblical idea of tithing is a duty with no option, whereas giving is just like it sounds. But how much should we give? Now the Bible verse, each of you should give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. The key here is not under reluctance or under compulsion. And to break it down even further, one should never really even give if they're not willing to give because that's reluctance. And one should also never give as an impulse without the rationale of the motivation because this is compulsion. And many ministries appeal to the compulsion of the believer. Give now and God will shower blessings upon you. Sow your financial seed today. So when did God become an investment firm? Go to any financial broker and they'll end up telling you the same things without the Bible references. True, the Bible does speak of reaping and sowing, and it's there also in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But, you know, I wonder if this verse and chapter are necessarily speaking of monetary giving. Could it be other forms of giving as well? I knew of a woman who gives a lot of her time to typing and organizing programs used by her church, helping a host of different persons. Was she giving? Certainly. Does she give monetarily? Well, not certainly not as much as she would have liked and not a tenth of her income, but she is blessed abundantly in many other forms, including monetarily. So then, do you have to sow a financial seed to re receive a blessing from God? Well, of course not. Should we give to God? Certainly, but not in the form that so many are advocating and in the manner in which we should give. What does Corinthians 9 verse 7 state? to give as we have decided in our hearts to give. Therein, that's the new covenant definition of quote-unquote tithing. If you decide to give a tenth of your income to a certain church or ministry, then more power to you. If you decide to give less of your income, but more of yourself, there's no new covenant restriction that we can point to at all on such practice. Certainly, many good ministries and churches exist uh, that rely on our support for their well-being, and many earn their living by the gospel. See also 1 Corinthians 9.14. And they should be given every resource to make their jobs easier. What my friend does saves her pastor a lot of time that he can devote to other activities. Is this giving? Well, certainly. Anything done for a person who makes their living by the gospel is a form of giving. If you do so because you want to, and you are doing so because of your love for God, 
and you are giving as God wants you to give. So in conclusion to this blog post, should you ever let people guilt you into giving money? Certainly not. You should give because you want to and you love God. Should you be mandated to tithe? Again, certainly not. Under what the New Covenant says, believers are not mandated to tithe as it was defined in the Old Testament. We should give of ourselves and serve Christ. See also Matthew 6, 24, Mark 8, 34, and Luke 9, 23. These are the New Testament meaning of giving or quote-unquote tithing, as some would call it. So there you have it, folks. That's the blog post that I posted on intensetheology.wordpress.com. And I'm not necessarily advocating you go there. It was an old way that I was trying to utilize my gifts for God. And my podcast here is the primary means of which I'm doing that now. But regardless, I'm very passionate about this. If you couldn't tell, I'm very, I get very irritated with uh, even my own pastor. Uh, he's very dogmatic about giving, and he's very dogmatic about giving in a certain way, and he points to the Old Testament. And I've got to say, I highly disagree with him. Doesn't necessarily mean he's wrong at the same time, because we are supposed to give. We are mandated to be generous. But the thing of it is, is we as New Covenant believers, we don't have a 10% rule as they did under the Old Covenant to support the Levitical priesthood and the temple. We do have churches. I do belong to a local church. They do have a building. They have a mortgage. They have they have power um, bills that they have to pay. They have water bills. They have trash bills. They, they have to pay taxes and all this. Well, I don't know if they have to pay taxes, but um, they have property to maintain all this and that. So yeah, they have overhead and my, and this is where it's like some of the attitudes I had prior to receiving Christ kind of creep in and I kind of have to struggle with a little bit. I understand that churches nowadays, they have overhead, they have salaries. I, my pastor and every pastor out there and every priest and all this and that, they derive their living from the gospel. So as we saw in first Corinthians nine fourteen, you can look that up for yourself. That's Paul basically saying, you know, we do have the right to demand that you support us in preaching the gospel because we as congregants of the church of Jesus Christ and as believers receive a benefit, if you will, from these pastors doing their job. We receive spiritual edification and we also receive um, a benefit by going to this building and at basically having a gathering place of other believers. So in concordance with the verses in Hebrews chapter 10 that talk about do not forsake the gathering together thereof, and especially as you see the day approaching, encourage one another all the more. That's where we go to do that. That's a gathering place. And in the early church, it was just people's homes. And in areas in China where you don't have any religious freedom, really, they have house churches and they have underground churches where they just simply meet together, right? And maybe they pool their money and just you know do whatever they have to do in order to uh, to provide for each other. But so this podcast, I'm not railing against tithing. I'm railing against the methodologies utilized by a lot of Protestant churches nowadays, and especially to the Catholic Church. I'm not a Catholic, so I don't I can't really speak to that a whole lot. I am a Protestant Christian, so I know a lot about that. I just I really have an issue with a lot of ways that pastors will try to bring the basically to meet the budget, right? To, to bring in contributions in order to meet the budget and also try to have a little bit of a surplus for leaner times, right? Because 
you know, there are some points in like, you know, 2020 was a perfect time period. A lot of people with the coronavirus lockdowns, they had some lost their jobs. Some couldn't even really tithe anymore. So you can't sit here again and make that 10% rule apply to those people. Maybe they can't, they can barely afford to keep their lights on and food in the refrigerator and with their rent, much less making sure they're giving to the church as well. That is also not to say that we wait until we have enough money to be able to give to the church. Otherwise, it's kind of like you never want to wait to have kids until you can afford it because then you'll never be able to afford it kind of thing. It's the same idea, giving. At some point, you just have to start giving, right? So that's a lot to say just uh, you know, about a money issue that is very controversial in today's church. There's a lot of reasons why a lot of pastors will preach sermons about money the way they do. And I don't want this to be a, an excuse for Christians to go, well, you know, the guy with the disciples point of view said, I'm not mandated to give, so I'm no longer going to give. I'm not saying that at all. I will say if you go to a church and you derive benefit, even just from sitting and listening to the sermon, I think you should support that ministry. I give to another church whereby I listen to that uh, pastor's sermons, and I still give a little monetary gift each month to that church because in my mind, I'm receiving a benefit from that church, from what he is doing, and he is giving his full time to that. So I feel like, you know what, I need to at least support that. It's not a big gift, but it, it's, you know, it's, it's something. It's something that I go, well, I feel like I'm, you know, <laughs> basically, I, I feel like I'm, I'm compensating them well enough for the benefit that I'm receiving. So that, you could look at it that way. We don't go anywhere and receive any kind of service in the Western world and probably anywhere in the, in the Eastern world, too, and, and the Middle East as well and India and everywhere else. You probably, if you receive a service, you're going to have to compensate that individual or individual's giving you that service, right? In some form or fashion, whether it be, and most times it's money, but sometimes in parts of the world, there's a barter system. In some way, form or fashion, you're going to have to give slash tithe. But I just simply wanted to address the way a lot of ministries are doing it now. So don't think of it as you're no longer supposed to give, but know that we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace, even when it comes to money. I want to put a little addendum on the end of this podcast, okay? I want to put out there into the internet that basically I'm not saying that if you tithe, if you give, if you don't tithe, if you don't give, that God will bless you or God won't bless you, okay? It is clear that if we are generous and sacrificial in our hearts, that God will bless us. However, I believe under the new covenant, what it is, is God blesses the attitude you have behind it. The attitude you have when you give is going to dictate what God will or won't do. And it also depends on his sovereign plan for your life. It doesn't necessarily mean if you're poor and destitute and you're barely scraping by, clearly God has a plan for why he's doing that for you. If you're thriving and, and you may be going through all kinds of periods in your life. I know I've been through periods of want and need, and I've been through periods of just abundant blessing, and then everywhere in between. But what you should never do is give with the intent to get money and to bound God like some sort of genie. He is not a genie. 
He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. If he wants to bless you, that's his business. If he doesn't want to bless you, that's his business. Okay. So we should never get into this idea that, well, if I give 10% or more of my income, then, well, God's going to bless me. And I want to benefit from that blessing. I just simply, I don't know about you, but as my attitude in terms of giving money, I just simply want to be, you know, obedient to God in a way, but I also want to make sure that I'm not necessarily hoarding all the resources God is giving me in his vast abundance. I live in the United States of America. I make a great salary for what I do for a living in terms of my day job, so to speak. I don't make my living doing this, but in my day job, I make a great living, right? And I want to be able to give my thanks back to God by giving to my local church. And I don't just give to my local church. I give to a whole bunch of different things. Like I said earlier, I give to another church even because I just, I love the word of God and I love pastors who really handle it really well. And if I receive a benefit from that, then I want to give. You know, it's the same thing. If I listen to political commentary, there's a couple uh, political commentators here on the internet. I'm not going to say who they are, just so I don't want this to be partisan. But I actually support them financially too, because I receive a benefit from what they do and they're giving their full time to do it. That's the concept behind giving under the new covenant. And I just really wanted to put that as, as an addendum at the end of this podcast. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The apostle John wrote that when he was pinning first John, he says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.